And out of Deuteronomy 28, I've been kind of walking through Deuteronomy 28. This is really, it's called the blessing. Uh, and it's starting in verse 2, it says this. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice, the, the voice of the Lord your God. And then the following verses, it talks about all the different blessings. And we're all the way down right now into verse 13 this week. It says this. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not beneath. Can I get an amen for some of this here, guys? We shall be the head and not the tail. We shall be above only and not beneath. If you heed the commands of the Lord your God, which I command to you today, and be careful to observe them. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your blessing, your favor, your supernatural abundance that can only come from you, Lord. And Father, we just thank you for every gift, every giver, our tithes, our offerings, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that every bill is paid in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that we are above and not beneath. Lord, that we are the head and not the tail, Lord. And it's only because of your blessing, Lord. And so we heed your commands. We obey your word, Lord. We thank you, Father, that you are always with us. You never leave us or forsake us. And Lord, I just also thank you for this message that you have for us this morning. As we finish up this series on spiritual disciplines of abstinence, Lord, that you would just attune our ears to what you have to say to us, Lord. In your precious name we pray. Amen? Amen. Uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, whether in your, your old paper Bible or your electronic device. Uh, as I mentioned, this is going to be the last week of the series of spiritual disciplines of abstinence. How many of you have been enjoying this series yeah, with the grudgingly, yes, right? Because every one of these things we're talking about is not easy for our flesh to do. That's why it's called abstaining from things. It's difficult to slow down. It's difficult to stop. It's difficult to have Sabbath. It's difficult to do these things. But the Lord commands us really to do these things for our own benefit. It's for our own benefit. He wants us to be able to slow down and trust in him versus going 1,000 miles an hour, which we typically do day in and day out, especially in our culture. This is going to be the last week of it, and we're going to transition. I'm pretty sure I know where the Lord's leading us starting next week, uh, but of course I always want to continue to get confirmation from the Lord in that. But a discipline is this. I don't have it on the screen this morning, but let's just listen to what this spiritual discipline is. A discipline for the spiritual life is nothing but an activity undertaken to bring us into more effective cooperation with Christ and his kingdom. Oh, I do have it. An activity undertaken, thank you, Paul, to bring us into more effective cooperation with Christ and his kingdom. How many of us want to be in more effective cooperation with Christ and his kingdom? Amen. I mean, that's, that's our heart's goal. That's what we want. We want more of him. We want to be part of his kingdom and seeing it expanded. So these disciplines, they're not easy, but the whole purpose of it is this. And the key verse is Psalm 46. Starting in verse 10, it says this, be still and know that I am God. Be still and then know that I am God. And each one of these disciplines that we've been talking about really all revolve around that word still. Whether we're stopping, we're slowing, we're pausing, all of it is just we're taking things at another level of trying to slow ourselves down so that we have a better opportunity to know that he is God. The Bible talks about wisdom crying out in the intersection. 
How many of you are in a situation right now in your life where you need some wisdom, where you need wisdom in your life? I would encourage you to slow down, to stop, to seek him. Because what the Bible says is wisdom is crying out at the intersection. If you're at an intersection and you need to make a decision, do I go straight, do I go right, or do I go left? There's actually wisdom, Holy Spirit wisdom available for you, crying out to you. But you got to stop for a second. And we did some practical things like actually stopping at a stop sign. How many of you have been doing pretty good at stopping at a stop sign? Okay. I started doing that. Man, it got more and more difficult uh, doing it. And I'm going to tell you a story about the speed limit. This is not in my notes. But so I, I, many of you know that we've been traveling like all the month of September. And one of the travels we did, we were moving Anna, our oldest daughter, to Rochester. And I told you the blessing of the apartment that we got there. And it was amazing. What I didn't tell you, though, is that we were driving on the highway, I'm pretty sure it was Route 90, going out to the Rochester area, and I'm driving above the speed limit. Okay, I'm preaching on, right, I'm preaching on slowing, it's nothing to do with the speed limit, but you get it, right? It's the spirit of us rushing all the time, and we're trying to slow ourselves down. And so I'm, I'm driving over the speed limit, I don't remember how fast over the speed limit I was going, and a car pulls next to me. And, he start, and the person in the car is going like right along with me. I'm just like, oh. And he starts pointing at the van that I'm in. He's pointing at the van. I'm driving the church van, which is actually the school van, which says Leadership Christian Academy across the side of the van. Real big, big letters. Leadership Christian Academy. And the guy is pointing at the van. He's pointing. I'm like, oh my gosh. If you guys remember the story from a previous year, we had like an incident in that van where the wheel almost fell off. God supernaturally saved us. I mean, it was this incredible miracle, literal angels from heaven holding this van on the road. Like, so now I'm thinking, maybe my wheel's falling off, right? So I'm looking. I, I, it doesn't feel like, so we roll, roll the window. Let me, let me try that again. I roll the window down. I push the button that rolls the window down, right? I push the button, and the guy's, he's pointing. I'm like, what? He's like, Christian. And he points at his speedometer. You're speeding. Christian, you're speeding. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh. I was like, yeah, we're not perfect, you know? And then he rolled his window up, and then we didn't really have any interactions with him. But I was just like, oh, shoot. You know, wasn't I just preaching on, like, you know, slowing down a little bit? Here I am going way too fast to get to Rochester. The whole purpose of that story is, though, and I believe, like, the Lord was just pointing out to me, he wasn't upset. Lord, Lord wasn't mad at me because I was going 73 miles an hour in a 65 zone. But what's that? No, he wasn't mad at all. I think really what it was, it was just a reminder for all of us, we're just moving too fast all the time. And it's just this whole, this whole series has been trying to get us to be still and know, to slow down a little bit in our lives, whatever that means for you, whatever that means for any of us. Each of us have our own journey on what it means to be still and to know that I am God. So some of the spiritual disciplines that we've been doing, uh, we have a list of them here. We did stopping, we did silence, we did solitude, we did slowing uh, Pastor Andy did a great job on, on Sabbath the past two weeks, uh, and then fast, self-restraint or, or fasting. And then the last one we're going to do, I've added this one to the list, is simplify. 
Now, all great preachers know when you have a message series, everything has to start with an S. So, you know, we got simplify for this week. And I want to talk out of Matthew 6 what I mean by simplify and what does that look like. And I believe we need to try to practice all of these things in our life on a daily basis. And we're going to look at, at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and some things that he was saying. But let me just give you some statistics. Look, I don't always know if all these statistics are exactly right. But here, here's this. I read this. It said that the number one recreation in the United States of America is shopping. We shop like nobody's business. Like the consumerism of America, literally, guys, I think you know it. It's off the charts. It is off the charts. I mean, Amazon, it's not like Walmart isn't doing any good anymore because Amazon exists, right? It's just more stuff. We can just get it quicker. We can get it even faster. Like, I am waiting, when do drone deliveries show up in Erie, Pennsylvania? Because I want the thing four hours from when I order it, not the next day. That's too long for me to wait. Right? When does prime shipping start giving me the drone deliveries? Right? This is the culture that we're in. It's more, more, more. I need more. I want more. I need it faster. And if you're on social media, I am not by the grace of God. I'm not. But if you're on social media, or even if you get on Google to search something, the advertisements you get bombard you that you need more. No, no. You need this thing. Whatever it is will change your life. And they've changed advertising from about the product itself, like whatever that product was, if it was like a vacuum cleaner, you know, like this is the great vacuum cleaner. It picks up all of, your, all of the hair, uh, you know, and all the stuff and all the dead skin cells. It does great. Now advertising is like this vacuum cleaner will change your life. And you see people going around with a vacuum cleaner. They're listening to their music and their life is being changed. And it's like, man, i got to get myself one of those vacuum cleaners. It's a vacuum cleaner. That's all it is. It just picks up dirt. But the advertising has changed all across the world. But in America, it's, it makes you. They know how we tick. They know how humans tick. And it makes you think that you actually need this thing. Legit need it. The iPhone 14 commercial came out. I need that. Like my iPhone 13 is just not enough anymore. Because the camera on the 14 and the speed of the 14 and the 5G connection on the 14 and all these things, it will radically change my life. Because on the commercial, that person's very happy with the iPhone 14. I bet you they probably used to have an iPhone 13. But now they have the 14 and now they are so excited about their life. And you see, the, this world that we live in, in America, in the Western culture, it's consumerism. It's more, 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 more. We just want more. We need more. And that's all that advertising comes at us. We see like, I don't know if it's 4,000 advertisements a day. Do you know that? You are bombarded with 4,000 advertisements a day. They're just coming at you. You're driving on the street. I mean, now we've got LED signs so that they can get actually five or six advertisements to you in the span from 12th Street, from like one street to the next block. No more good is just one sign. Let's get six of them at them while they're driving. So we're just getting bombarded with this over and over. Storage units. Look, I'm not, I'm not judging anybody that's got a storage unit. Believe me, because we've had storage units in our life. The storage unit industry 
is a $50 billion a year industry and growing. It just grows year after year after year. People are putting on more and more storage because we have so much stuff. We need more space for our stuff because the world says that we need it. And so we just go buy it. We need more. We need more. We need more. And it's working. It's working. They're, they're training us to want more. But here's the truth. Everything we get costs us something. Not just in the financial dollars and cents. When we buy it initially, it costs us something. It costs us something to pick it up, to move it for a thousand different times until we finally find the location in which we actually want it to be in. And then we lose it, and then we can't find it. Now we're praying to God to help us to find the thing that we purchased that we probably didn't even need in the first place. How many can resonate with this? This is like, this is like my life, too. Right? I'm preaching to myself here. The truth here is this, is that most of our stuff is a distraction from what's really important. Guys, most of the stuff that we have is really just a distraction from what's really important. So what does the Bible say? Jesus talks a lot about this. Matthew 6, if you're there. I'm going to start in verse 19. And and Jesus just goes on like an all-out preaching on this right here. And I just want to read through this with you guys. It says this. It says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, Don't do it. Jesus is commanding the people that are listening to his message. They're not even in the United States. Jesus is not talking about the richest 2% of the people in the world, which is who I'm talking to during this message. Jesus is speaking to those who don't even have all that much, and he's telling them, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why? Because moth and rust destroy where thieves break in and steal. Earthly treasures is stuff. Now, inherently, there's nothing wrong with stuff. And there's a lot of things in our life that are used. Like, we went for years and years and years without a microwave. I'm really not 100% sure why. Decades without a microwave. We have eight children. Do you know how you have to heat things up without a microwave with eight children? And then we bought a microwave. Literally, my life did change. Like, it was one of the best purchases of my life. Actually, Lila and I were talking about this morning. We were reheating French toast this morning. I was like, watch this. Another kid's done. Watch this. Another kid's done, ready for French toast. And so, there are, I'm not mocking stuff. There are great things that this, that, God has blessed us through, you know, to be able to design and to use. And I'm not knocking cell phones and all the stuff. There is stuff. But what I'm saying is we have an excessive amount of stuff. And the management of all this stuff is distracting us from what God really has for us in our lives. Amen? And it talks about where moth and rust destroy. Do you know how many bikes I have in my shed that have rust on them? I I don't even know. It's probably 12. It's, I mean, this scripture is legit. It's real. It's as, as real today as it was 2,000 years ago when Jesus said it. These earthly treasures, it's just stuff. But what does he say? But there's got to be something else. So, so what do we do about this? Verse 20 says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Treasures in heaven where neither raw moth nor rust 
destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. God's talking here. Jesus is speaking to us about laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven. What does that mean? Heavenly treasures equal relationships. They equal relationships. These heavenly treasures that we have are relationships with God. The relationships with our spouse, the relationships with our kids, the relationship with our friends, with our co-workers. When we invest our time and our effort into these things, we are laying up for ourselves these heavenly treasures of relationships for God's kingdom. Verse 21 then says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You want to know where your treasure is? Look at your credit card statement. No, I'm serious. You don't have to do it right now. Everyone's pulling out their app for their, you know, chase bill. They're going to go check it. Where your treasure is, where you spend your time and your money is where your heart is. This is what the Bible is telling us. And so you want to figure out where it is. I think I called it take inventory. Take an inventory of your life. Look at your schedule. Look at your credit card statement. Look at your bank account. What is it that you're spending your time, your money, and your effort on? What is it? Each of us is probably a different answer. But it's good periodically for us to take a step back, to stop, to pause, and to reflect. Lord, where is my heart? Is my heart just for stuff and more stuff? Or is my heart truly for relationships and for you? Verse 22 says, the lamp of the body is the eye, what we see. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And what Jesus is saying here is, what are you focused on? What are you focused on? Are we focused on what our neighbor has? Are we focused on the next car, the next iPhone, all the things that these marketing campaigns are trying to get us to focus on? What are we focused on? And I'm telling you those things are a distraction because I know it in my own life. Your eye being good is this, meaning that you are focusing your attention on the right things. And our eyes being bad means we are looking elsewhere. We are coveting other things that we wish that we had. And we're not seeing the people and the relationships that are right in front of us that God is asking us to invest in. Verse 24 then says that no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and money at the same time. I wrote in my notes, ouch. Ouch. If our time and money were focused on the things of this world, then that verse would tell me that we are serving money and not God. That's a scary statement. That's why I think we need to sit back and reflect. Where are we spending our time and our money? What are we doing? And you would say, well, Pastor Jason, you don't understand 
The social security system, it's like broken and, and I have to work and I have to do all these things to provide for my family and I have to save for retirement and I have to, I have to, I have to, I have to. And the Lord is saying to us this morning, do you trust me? Do you trust me enough to put the relationships that I have for you, in, that I put right in front of you, your spouse, your children, the Lord's saying, me, do you trust me enough to prioritize those relationships and allow me to take care of the rest of the stuff? And I think we live in a world where it's like we are programmed, like, no, we have to have a certain amount of money in our 401k before we retire or we're not going to be able to live. Where does it say that in the Bible? It doesn't. It says focus on these things. Focus on relationships and what's in front of you. And the Lord promises to take care of the rest. Look at the next verse. Look what Jesus, so Jesus knows what we're thinking. Jesus knew what the, what the people who were listening to the Sermon on the Mount were thinking as well. He's like, look, focus on relationships. You can't serve God and money at the same time. He says, but I hear how you're feeling I know what you're thinking. Let me encourage you. Verse 25. Jesus then says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. Don't worry about any of it. What you will eat or what you will drink. Basic necessities. Don't worry about those things, nor about your body or what you'll put on, the clothes that you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And then Jesus goes on. He's like, look, it's like you're not getting me just yet. I'm going to give you two wonderful examples. And the examples he gave, I believe, were able to be seen by all those who were sitting there. Now, I don't have any lilies or any birds for you right now. So I just want you to imagine these things as I read these. It says, look at the birds of the air, verse 26. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And you are, are you not more valuable than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to its stature? God's saying, worrying is doing you no good. It's not helping you. The stock market, guess what, guys? You don't have any control over it. What you had a year ago is a lot less than what you have now. If you didn't check in a while, I'm sorry to tell you that. That's what's happening. Okay? You have no control over those things. Why do we spend our time worrying about those things? We have no control over them. God is telling us here, stop worrying about stuff. Stop worrying about all the things of this world and focus on the heavenly treasures, which are the relationships which are right in front of you. Verse 28, so why do you worry about your clothing? Now he's going to give one more example for us. Consider the lilies of the field. How they grow, they neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory, Solomon the richest man who ever lived, in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothed the grass of the field, verse 30, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? And then he says, oh, you of little faith. And Jesus just points out to us, like straight up, do you trust God? Do you have faith that he will provide? Or do you need to go out and gather and collect the things on your own? And I believe it's a challenge for all of us. It takes faith 
to trust God. It takes faith to do all of these spiritual disciplines of abstinence, to move a little slower, to stop periodically. What do you mean, to Sabbath, to take an entire day? Do you know how many productive things I could do in a 24-hour period? You mean, God, you're telling me to not do anything for a day? But I do things every day, all day, that's seven days. How am I going to fit it into six? Well, just like tithing, how does 90% go farther than 100%? The same deal with God, with Sabbath, in stopping and slowing and resting. He says, I will make the rest of your time go even further. Don't worry about it. Slow it down, my friend. We don't have to live as the world lives. You know, church, the Bible actually says to us, don't live like the world lives. Be in it. Be in the world, but don't be of it. Don't be the same. I, I, I struggle sometimes. I wonder, like, when I'm walking anywhere where I go, or if, and I have a secular job as well, I'm bivocational, and I go in there. Am I... Can I walk in there and be different than everybody else? Can I truly be different than everybody? It doesn't mean I have to dress differently. I don't jump up on the table and preach Jesus, you know, in the middle of a meeting. But can I go in there and be different than the world? Can I carry with me something, the Holy Spirit on the inside of me and flowing through me, where I can have peace in the midst of a situation where everyone is abs- they're going, they're going chaotic? Can I walk at a pace that's slower and have peace and not worry and say, well, Jason, aren't you worried about the stock market? What do you mean? What about Social Security? What do you mean you cashed in your 401k? Well, because the Lord told me to do it. Well, that's like the dumbest financial thing you could ever do. Guess what? My God doesn't operate in the financial handbooks of the world. Doesn't operate that way. Now, I'm not saying all of you go cash in your 401ks. I'm not saying saving for retirement is bad. So please hear me. But what happens is when we get so focused on that, and we say, I got to work a little longer, I got to spend a little more time in the office, I got to do a little more of this, a little more of that, and you miss the people and the relationships that God has right in front of you, you're missing the whole point. We're missing it. It takes faith to trust in the Lord. Verse 31 says, Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? After all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows what you need, all these things. He knows. And I love that Jesus kind of ends this portion of the Sermon on the Mount with how he began it. And basically, he's saying, Hey, all these earthly things that you think that you need, God's going to take care of those. He says in verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then what? All the things you're worried about, concerned about, are purchasing, are caring about, or all these, he adds all those things. He takes care of all these things. They actually get added to you. However many have something that got added to you, it means you didn't have to do anything for it. So God's saying, like, slow down. Take a breath, trust in me, do what I've called you to do, and have relations with the people who are right in front of you, and then I will take care of all this other stuff. And what we do, and me included, we focus on all this other stuff to try to provide for ourselves and take care of ourselves, do all these things, and we're missing the thing that what God is saying is the most important. This is right here. Now, don't all go out and quit your job. It's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is there has to be a balance in our lives. 
that we have to see what God is telling us here. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And verse 34 says, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Can we not worry about tomorrow? What day is today? Sunday. Let's not worry about Monday. Let's focus on what is today. For tomorrow will have sufficient its own day. It will have its own trouble. So do not worry. So how do we do this? Just some practical ways that I'd like to share with you guys. Look, again, I mentioned that book a while back, The uh, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Uh, some of these things, actually none of these are in there, but I would encourage you uh, to, to read that book if you're interested in learning more about this stuff. It's very, very good. Uh, it's biblically based. He's a pastor in the Seattle area. It's very good. But here's some practical things that I think we can do. So it's great to hear what the Lord has to say and what he was telling them, but I would just want to give you some practical ideas. What's next? What can we do? First thing we can do, I believe, is we can simplify our schedule. We can simplify our schedule. And we've been trying to work on this. Man, it's not easy sometimes because people are busy. We're always so busy. There's only so many things we have that we have to go do, and we feel like we have to do all of them. But I've talked about this a few weeks back. But if we could simplify our schedule, we could evaluate where are we spending our time and then begin to simplify that schedule, to schedule in some space and some margin for relationships in our lives. You know, when I go to Wegmans, I actually hope that I don't see any of you. I'm sorry. This is terrible. I'm being honest. I'm being truthful to you. Because my Wegmans trip, I got 15 minutes max to get in, to get out, to get through the checkout. Thank goodness they have self-checkout now because I cannot stand in line with the slow checkout person. Like, I got to be able to do this myself. I got to move. I got to go quickly. And if I see somebody that I know, of course, I would stop for all of you because I love you all so much. I would. But you don't understand what I'm saying, right? When you're always in a rush, there is no time to stop to talk to somebody. You're just like, oh my gosh, no, 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 no. They're a long talker. They're a long talker. They're a, right? You know, you start walking real slow. Like you're in the vegetable aisle. You're like, you're down in the produce. You're like, grab me that apple over there. Like, is somebody talking to me, right? Like, because you're trying to move so, we don't schedule any time in our lives to have a conversation with someone that may happen out of the blue. Because I'm so busy. I got to go. I need more stuff. I got to get more things. I got to keep working harder and faster. Sabbath, are you kidding me? I got work to do. And we think it's funny, but it's not actually that funny. Like, because when you're in it and you're in Wegmans, you're just like, oh. And then you start having the conversation with someone, and you're like, oh. Right? Like, you're feeling the pain. You're like, oh. Now, if I see any of you in Wegmans, I've been, I've been working on my schedule. I should have a little more time to be able to talk with you. So you can call out, hey, Pastor Jason. And I should turn around and be like, hey, how's it going? Tell me everything that's going on in your life. Probably not. <laughs> I'm not there yet. But if we could get times in our schedule and be able to schedule ourselves where when something occurs, it doesn't throw our entire day off. This has been my problem for years. Like, if, if I have one inconvenience, yeah? If I have an inconvenience in my life, like can't find the car keys, 
Every morning before school, I'm bringing the kids to school. Somebody doesn't have a shoe. Somebody doesn't have a sock. Somebody can't find, we can't find the car keys. And I run in the car, and goodness, why do they have the automatic starts where you just hit the button? I don't understand. Because you leave them in the car, then you don't know where they are. And I get in the car, and I hit the button. The keys aren't in the car. Oh my gosh. So here we go. So everyone jumps out of the car. We're all running around. So what happens is, is we schedule ourselves in this way that our lives are not simple. They're not, they become so complex that everything is based on everything else. And if one small thing doesn't happen exactly the way it's supposed to happen, it's like this chain reaction. Our whole day is gone. It's gone. I'm off the rails. I'm off the rails. It's 8.30. I'm already off the rails. Because I got a meeting at 9 o'clock at the church, and if I can drive a little bit faster, which I'm not supposed to, and heck with the stop signs, I'll blow right through those so I can get the kids dropped off, so I can get, so I can get to my office and get a cup of coffee before my 9 o'clock meeting. Pastor Jason, how about not schedule a 9 o'clock meeting? It's like revelation. What? You mean I, I, I can control my schedule? Well, I know not everybody gets to control your schedule all the time, but yeah. Or how about get the kids ready a little bit earlier? Or how about get the shoes out the night before? Right? Like, there's all these things if we would just slow down and simplify our lives a bit. How about they just have one pair of shoes and keep them in one spot all the time? Yeah. Someday. Someday. Simplify our schedules. It's something we can be in to do in our lives to help us slow down and have space for relationships. The next one is simplify your stuff. Ugh. How many of you feel like you got too much stuff? My, oh, you don't have to raise your hand. I'm raising your hand. I'm raising my hand for you all. Just have so much stuff in the back. Thank you for being honest. Yeah. Like, how about this? Before buying it, maybe we should stop and ask, do we really need it? Facebook ads, they, they'll get you. They will make you believe that you need it and you need it now. Order it on Amazon, get it next day. I need it, right? Pastor Andy's like, yeah, yeah, I need that thing. This new workout routine, that new metabolic pill that's going to change my life. Yeah, right. The three-second tent. Yeah, the three-second tent that you've never used in your life. And now you're buying a storage unit to find a place to put the three-second tent that you've never used and that you'll lose then and you won't be able to find it anyway. You're like, this is, how, this is how we operate and how we live. And the Lord's like, stop doing these things. Stop being like the world and acting like... So do we really need it? We have to ask ourselves, what's the, what's the real cost of it? And when I say simplify, I, I'm not meaning like go out and buy more storage uh, containers to better organize the stuff that you have, right? Because that's what we think, like, well, if I, could just, if I could just buy more containers, then I could organize. I don't have to get rid of anything. I could just organize all the stuff that I do have in a nicer way, and then I'll know exactly where it is. Like, I'm not talking about that. I'm actually, can we get rid of some stuff in our life, this clutter in our lives that are distracting us? from the relationships that are in front of us? Can we actually get more things out of our house than we're bringing into our house? Can we try that for a couple months? Imagine how freeing it would begin to feel. How many of you like did one of those, like I'm going to clean out my garage and take everything like to Goodwill or to the Salvation Army or something? You actually can, you, you pull into your garage and you're like, if you've never done it, you should. 
And you have this breath of fresh air, like, I only have a few things in my garage. This is fantastic. Right? There's something that God has, has cre- created us for a lot more simplicity than the world makes us believe that we need. Fewer things, get rid of stuff as much as possible, simplify your things, your stuff. And then simplify your technology. I don't even know what I mean by this. <laughs> I have it as a point. Look, there are books on all of this stuff. You all can read books or Google search, you know, how do I simplify technology in my life? What I mean is, do you really need seven devices and 16 smart TVs in your house? No. You don't really, yeah, that's right. Weston, right? Preach it, brother. Like, you don't need all that stuff. We don't need a device in every room for everything that we need. I believe God's just asking us and calling us to simplify. Could we have fewer apps on our phone? There's a novel idea. I have like 150 apps on my phone. I don't even know what they are. I don't even know why they're there. But they clutter my life and I got to go through them and look for them. Thank goodness there's a search button so I don't even have to go through all of them anymore. Right? But we just are so cluttered in our life. If we could simplify these things in our life. Simplify our stuff and simplify the technology that we're on. And so what do we do with this extra space in our life? Focus on relationships. That's what Jesus is telling us. Is what he was saying in the Sermon on the Mount. To go then focus on your relationships. Begin to schedule time in for these things. Married couples, when was the last time you were on a date night? You don't need to call it out. But think about it. When was the last time you prioritized your marriage and actually went out on a date together? I have little kids. Yeah, I know. People have little kids. You're not the first person in the world to have a little kid. There are grandparents and there are people who are willing to watch that kid so you can go away for an hour and a half and get a nice meal or a cup of coffee with your spouse. But we have to prioritize. We have to focus on it. We have to declutter our lives and to simplify our lives and have the space available to us to say, you know what? I need to schedule those things in. That's what Jesus is talking about when he's saying, seek first that kingdom of God. He's saying, seek first the relationships with me, with him, and with others who are in your life. Can we focus on these things? I talked about this before. Can we look at our kids when they're talking to us? Oh, can we actually treat them like a human being and a person and look at them when they're, when they're, when they're talking? I told you, it's hard for me. I'm like, walk, walk with me while you talk with me. I ain't got time to listen to the whole story. I'm busy. There's no time in my schedule for a long, drawn-out, 20-minute story about a Lego and who had the Lego first and which birthday the Lego was given and who actually has the rights and the ownership of the Lego and how they just let the other person borrow it just for a week or two, but now that person thinks that it's theirs and they won't give it back to me, but the Lego's really mine. I have a picture to prove it on the phone from five birthdays ago. You're like, oh my gosh, I don't have time for this. Just give me the Lego. It's mine now. Right, But our lives, if we get so busy with stuff, we don't have time for the hearts of our kids and the issues that they want to talk about. Pastor Liz always says, the most important times in your kid's life each day are when they wake up, when they come home from school, and when they go to bed. Doesn't mean you can blow them off the rest of the time. 
What I'm saying is their hearts are most tender in those three times. So parents, listen to me. Those are the three times of the day you need to focus your attention on your kids. When they wake up, when they get home from school, and when they go to bed. And then married couples, those with little kids, I would encourage you, man, Pastor Liz and I are horrible at this. We're working on it, getting better at it. Uh, doing something called couch time. Anybody heard of couch time? Couch time is where you and your spouse actually sit on a couch in the middle of the house and prioritize your relationship. This takes time and effort and a lot of work. In front of the kids, and you tell them, children, mom and dad's relationship is first and foremost and primary in this home, and all of your questions shall wait until we are done with this couch time. And we've done it for seasons, and it's been hard for us, and we're trying to begin to do more of these things again. But what it does is it tells the kids the most important relationship in that home is between mom and dad, first and foremost. And the kids actually thrive more under that because they begin to realize, like, oh, the world doesn't revolve around me? <laughs> Look at that. I had no idea. My whole life, everything revolves around me, and now all of a sudden it doesn't, right? And so it's a difficult thing to implement, and I would just encourage you to stick through it, stick with it as you get through it. It's not difficult. I mean, it is difficult to do. you got to stick with it. Or how about just getting coffee with a friend? How about scheduling some coffee with a friend? Grace, you want to come back up here? There are things we can do in our lives practically. I haven't written any kind of book on it, so there's a lot of books you can go read and get specifics. But I believe that this is what the Lord has for us as we wrap up the spiritual disciplines of abstinence, simplifying our lives, our schedule, our stuff, so they're not so cluttered with things that distract us from relationships. Amen? Amen. Bow your heads this morning. Heavenly Father, I just come to you this morning. Lord, we thank you that we can know you. We thank you, Lord, that you can help us, that you lead us, that you send your Holy Spirit to guide us in all of these challenges of life. Father, I would just ask, Lord, that for me and my family and for this church, Lord, that all of these spiritual disciplines of abstinence that we've talked about and focused on, that we don't lose sight of them as we move on to a new series or that we don't forget about the foundational things that, Lord, you have taught us over the past couple months. So, Lord, I just ask that you would strengthen us to live lives that are simple enough so we can focus on the relationships that are right in front of us. Lord, that we would make time to prioritize our relationship with you that those who are married would schedule in the time to prioritize their relationship first. Lord, those who have children, they would find moments each day to show them how important they are and that they are a priority in our life. And those who maybe don't have any kids or aren't married yet or previously were married, Lord, that you would lead them and guide them in the relationships that are in their life. 
whether it's with grandkids, co-workers, fellow students, that they would make space in their life to go get a cup of coffee or to have a conversation or to spend time with each other. And Lord, we just thank you for your blessing over each of our families that are represented here today. Lord, I just ask for a supernatural blessing over every family that's represented, over these marriages, over these parents, over these friendships. Lord, that you would help us to prioritize that which is most important. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Look up here. We have some prayer teams that are going to be up front. If you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, there are, there are people up here that can pray with you, that will talk with you, that will tell you how amazing it will be and the challenges that you will face, that it will absolutely change your life forever as we focus on who Jesus is in our life. If you have a prayer need for anything else, whatever it might be, these teams are up here. They will pray with you. They will encourage you. They will speak life into you. They will lay hands on you if you need healing. They will do whatever it takes because they are spiritual warriors. I encourage you to come up here this morning. But as I close, let me just read this benediction out of Ephesians 3. Just receive this. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever.